Well, if you um, have your Bibles, return to John's Gospel with me. Chapter 8. And I'd like to open with a word of prayer. Okay. Our Lord, today this, uh, this service is for you. It's for your glory. And I pray, Father, today that we'll see and hear and read your message. Father, this, uh, this year uh, there is so much need, spiritual need, in our nation for repentance and salvation and revival. And Lord, I just pray that uh, as we begin a new year as a church, that we will um, see and hear and participate in proclaiming the gospel message uh, across this land. For it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. I was, uh, I read something this morning, a statement that Franklin Graham put out. You know who Franklin Graham is, the son of Billy Graham statement that he put out talking about the current spiritual condition of our nation and he said that it seems as we begin a new year that our nation is imploding just collapsing in sin and now not only are we collapsing in sin but we also uh, the the country seems to be forcing sin on our people and especially on young people and children, which breaks my heart. And not only are they forcing a sinful way of thinking and living on people, but also demanding that we tolerate sin. I heard somebody uh, say, and not long ago on television, don't know who they were, but uh, know what they were. I knew what they were saying. They said that tolerance is a Christian virtue. You know, nothing could be further from the truth. God is not tolerant. The, 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 God's tolerant. He's gracious. He's gracious in that we haven't all been sent to hell by now. Okay? Tolerance, tolerance means you put up with something. Okay? Tolerance means you accept somebody else's behavior that is different from you and the behavior you may uh, have. But, you know, as I read my Bible, I see very clear guidelines in Scripture about how we're supposed to live. I see very clear guidelines in Scripture about the relationship we should have with God and what that involves, and how we should practice uh, our life of faith. Very clear guidelines. There's no confusion here in Scripture. And I have heard people, as Romans 1 tells us, well, that does happen. I have heard people who are in sin practically demand that everybody else participate in their sin. And if not participate in it, at least tolerate it. <coughs> Folks, look. People that are in sin, people that are unsaved are acting like sinners. That's what sinners do. And that's what Romans 1 teaches us. If you go back and read that, Paul 
pretty direct in, in his explanation of that. It's not a prediction of what is going to happen in the future. It's an explanation about what has happened up until now. We are a people who are in sin from the fall until now. And Paul is laying it out for us in chapter 1 of Romans about the things that happen because of that. And one of the things that happens that I just shared with you is that it, uh, it uh, gets to the point where the people that are in sin are not comfortable until they get you in it too. You see? And we're seeing that just in so many obvious ways today, aren't we? You know, um, we are destroying our lives and we want you to destroy yours right along with us. And they don't approach it that way, but you see it. You know what they're doing. Okay? Um, and sometimes this insanity that goes on about different things, sin and, and different behaviors and things in our society today, and in the effort to push it on, on children. And you know what I'm talking about. I don't have to go into any detail. How do we respond? We respond with the gospel. That's what the church does. That's what believers do. We have the gospel. But there's confusion in our society about what the gospel is, and there's confusion even in the church about what the gospel is. And we're going to spend some time during the first part of the year really nailing that down. What is, what is the gospel? And the first thing about the gospel is that it is God's plan to deal with our redemption. It is God's plan to deal with our sin. That's the first thing about the gospel. We have this universalist approach to the gospel today that many in the church have, and of course everybody outside the church has. It's this idea that the gospel means everybody gets to go to heaven, just live like you want. Doesn't matter, and when you die, you just go right on to heaven. Folks, that's not in Scripture. That's not in Scripture at all. But that's how everybody lives and thinks and talks, you know, even in the church. And, and I can prove it. When somebody dies or when somebody's sick or when somebody's in trouble or whatever, you never hear about people that are going to hell. We, we don't talk about that anymore. And yet it's a reality in Scripture that Jesus himself talked quite a lot about. So in the world that we live today, we, we, we're seeing a world that the, the sin, it's, it's just becoming more evident to us and more real to us because we can see it every day with television and internet and all other resources we have. You can't really hide anything today. It's just out there in front of us. It, you can't really go anywhere where you escape the reality of sin. Even your kids go to school and they run into it. Okay? It's there. It's there. So what do we need to do? First thing we need to do is get straight on the gospel ourselves. We, we want to be a people, if, if we are a, a legitimate biblical church, we want to be a people who understand the gospel. My desire for 2023 is that by the end of the year, every member of Pine Grove Baptist Church, on a moment's notice, will be able to explain the gospel. We're going to learn the gospel this year. You say, well, I know the gospel. We're going to learn it again. It doesn't hurt to give it a second look, okay? We're going to get the gospel straight because, folks, that's who we are. We're people of the gospel. God's called out church. 
given a great commission to go out and share the gospel. You can't do it if you don't know it. You see? So we're going to be straight on the gospel. And this morning, I want to challenge you to do some things that I think we need to do, we must do, as a church and the bigger church, the larger church has to do also, especially in the world and the society we live in today. We just have to because, you know, we can, at Pine Grove, we're a smaller church, we're actually kind of average in, in the larger church we're kind of average in size believe it or not but but with the kind of church we are we can easily become focused on our own church community and church fellowship and think that what's going on out there in the world really doesn't affect us yeah well you better open your eyes because it does affect you and it's right out there it's right out that door sometimes it may come in that door you never know so we need to be prepared how do we get prepared get to be prepared as, as a church? What do we do to respond to the sinful nature of the world we live in? First thing after understanding the gospel is deal with the sin in our own lives and in our own church. Because folks, I want to be straight with you. If we're going to do anything in the world in 2023 as the people of God, we better make sure we're right with God first. Because if we're not, we have no integrity when we walk out that door. We have nothing to stand on. If I'm not right with God as, as an individual believer, as a father, as a husband, as a pastor, if I've not got things where they need to be, then I don't have a leg to stand on when I go out to do the ministry of the gospel, and neither do you. So we need to be straight on these things ourselves. And what we must do is a spiritual inventory of our own lives and in, in time of our own church. Now, we're not going to take a spiritual inventory of the whole church. We're going to do it individually first. You and I. I'm going to have to look at me, you look at you, and by the end of this service today, ask ourselves, are there basic fundamental things where they need to be in our Christian life? Jesus, in John chapter 8, uh, the, the first part of that chapter is the story of the woman caught in adultery. Y'all know that chapter. You know, it's it's a, such a well-known story. Um, there There's some discussion about in some of the manuscripts the early manuscripts of the bible the story's not there nobody really knows why some of them have it some of them don't but the point is it's in our english bible and it's been left there because it agrees with the character of christ what happened here uh, and and i'm just going to say in my opinion it happened it's there and i'm going to go with it such a beautiful story this woman who is an adulterer, she, she's being caught in the very act of adultery. We need to remember that adultery in Bible days was punishable by death. It was a capital offense. They could stone you to death for this, okay? This is seri a serious matter. She's caught in the act, and you know the question, it always comes up, where's the man? They weren't interested in that. He may have been in the, very, in the crowd that was carrying this uh, this out that day to bring her up for judgment before Jesus. This may have been done and set up just to try to cause problems for Jesus, but they drag her out there in front of Jesus 
and they're about to stone her and they turn and they say to Jesus the law says she should be stoned what do you say and you know the story Jesus got down on his, his knees and started writing in the sand with his finger we don't know we're not told what he wrote I shared with this before uh, I've heard a lot of people say this and it may be true I don't know but but he may have been writing the names of their girlfriends in the sand you think you know because when they saw him writing in the sand they started stepping away and then he picked up a rock and held it out and he said these great words he among you is without sin cast the first stone and they say that the original text says he among you who is without this sin cast the first stone he just nailed it down did he? you know because we know in our hearts we've all committed this sin all right he among you who is without this sin you throw the first stone and then the bible says they left they dropped their stones and left from the oldest to the youngest why did the oldest leave first well they had longer to get in trouble didn't they okay they knew you know the younger ones probably wanted to go ahead and stone her but then when they saw the older ones going away well we'll go away too we're caught and they left and then jesus looks at the one and and he says who condemns you and she says no one lord and then he says neither do i condemn you go and sin no more go and sin no more now let's understand when jesus said neither do i condemn you and go and sin no more he was not just saying look everything's okay go on about your life and pat you on the, on on the hand and make you feel good about yourself and uh it's all right he didn't do that that's often how we do ministry today jesus turned to her. he never said that she had not sinned he never did did he okay in fact here's what he said he said go and sin no more stop sinning the 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 word the word from jesus was you do have a sin problem it needs to be dealt with so stop it stop doing that go and sin no more we like to push this false gospel out today that says jesus just tolerates everything and you can go on and live your life and he won't really be too concerned about it that's not in the bible jesus always required a response from people always go and sin no more the response was she needed to go and sin no more you see that's what jesus was requiring and then he goes on and and she leaves goes on about her life we don't know who the woman is okay just she goes on about her life and and we, she may never show up in the scripture again there's different ideas people say it was mary magdalene we don't know that okay that's that's never been being proven so don't we don't need to even say that and there are others i did we don't know who she was she just jesus said go and sin no more she's been delivered from bondage the bondage of sin and that's what this chapter is all about because next he turns around and it said the jews were there a group of jews probably mostly men they're there and look in verse 12 it said and again jesus spoke to them saying i am the light of the world whoever follows me will not walk in darkness but will have the light of life oh we need to get that verse just straight in our minds that as believers jesus is saying if you follow me you will no longer walk in darkness in other words following jesus means there will be a change in your life just like this woman go and sin no more he says the same thing to you and i 
If you follow me, Jesus says, you will no longer walk in darkness because I am the light of the world. And following me will change your life. Christian, get a hold of that. We're not supposed to be like we were. There's supposed to have been a change when we came to Christ. So the first thing we need to do as believers is we need to make sure there was a change. You say, well, God's the one that does the changing. Well, yeah, that's true. But you've got some responsibility in that, too. You know, when my children were growing up and, and, uh, and I was teaching them about how to live and not to live and things to do and not to do and all that, I had a certain requirement of behavior for my children that they would do the things that I taught them to do and not do the things I told them not to do. And if they messed up, I held them responsible, right? Now that's just what parenting is, okay? Why do you think God the Father treats you any differently? You see, God the Father, we've got very clear direction, as I said a moment ago in Scripture, about how we're supposed to live. Why would we think that God's just going to turn his head and look the other way when we don't live as, as we should? No, he's not. He's going to call us to account in one degree or another. He's going to teach us and lead us and guide us, and sometimes that involves guidance that we don't really enjoy. But it's necessary, and if he loves us, he'll do it, right? Just like I did for my children. So he says, I'm the light of the world, and, and if you follow me, you will no longer walk in darkness. Go on, verse 13. So the Pharisees said to him, you are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. And Jesus answered, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true, for I know where I came from and where I am going, but you do not know where I come from uh, or where I am going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true, for it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. So Jesus is clarifying with these Pharisees, these Jewish religious leaders, he's, he's making sure they understand who he is. You know, and, and he uses this term, my father, when talking about God. And that kind of bothered them. And, and they, they're going to challenge him on this because this idea of him being the son of God, they got a real problem with. Okay? And then Jesus said that there are two people that bear witness about him being the son of God. One was him, the other one was the father. So me and the father both say, I'm, I'm his son. So Pharisees, you need to get that straight. Verse 19, they said to him, therefore, where is uh, your father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. So he says, you don't even know my father. Now that, look, <laughs> realize what he just said and who he's saying it to. These are the religious leaders in Israel. And Jesus said, God's my father and you don't even know him. You got to just believe that they didn't receive that well. They didn't like that. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. So they, they wanted to arrest him. They wanted to kill him. It didn't happen because it wasn't time. God was in control of everything going on here. Verse 21, so he said to them again, I'm going away and you will seek me and 
You will die in your sin. Now, that statement I just said there in verse 21, he said, you will die in your sin. Now, remember, he's talking to the Pharisees, the religious leaders, but it's interesting. In John chapter 8, Jesus said that three times. You will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. So the Jews said, will he kill himself since he says, where I'm going, you cannot come? And he said to them, you are from below. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. I told you that you would third time die in your sin, second time. For unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Third time. He says, you're going to die in your sin because you don't even know me. You don't even know me. Well, preacher, where are you going? Here's the heart of the problem for the church today in 2023. We better get it straight in our minds and in our souls who Jesus is. Because he said, if you don't, you'll die in your sin. There you go. He says, you don't even know me. And because of that, because of that one thing, you don't know me, you'll die in your sin. So... They said to him, who are you? And Jesus said to them, just what I have been telling you from the beginning. I have much to say about you and much to judge, but he who sent me is true. And I declare to the world that I have heard from him. They did not understand that he had been speaking to them about the father. So Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the son of man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. And as he was saying these things, many believed in him. You know, Jesus didn't say, y'all come and join the synagogue. He didn't say, y'all come and worship with us on the Sabbath. He didn't say, let's do this or let's, you know, all of those ideas, Things similar to the way we do outreach today. Jesus said, you need to understand who I am because if you don't, you're going to die and go to hell. You'll die in your sin. You'll die with no hope if you don't get it straight who I am. It's interesting to me again, as I said a moment ago, Jesus said just in a few sentences, three times, you will die in your sin. You think he meant that? And folks, that is a message that the church has just got to get a hold of. This idea that we're supposed to preach tolerance and all the rest of the silliness and insanity going on in our world today is just not even biblical because it throws out what Jesus just said. Jesus says this message of if you don't repent, you're going to die in your sin. And folks, look, that's part of the gospel. That's part of it. Salvation is not even available until I get it straight who Jesus is and what he did for me on the cross and the fact that I must repent and turn to him and if I don't, I am three times going to die in my sin. We don't teach that reality anymore to people. We just we try to be counselors and all the rest and that's not what the, the gospel is about. The gospel is about your redemption. It's about whether you go to heaven or hell. That's what it's about. It's about a God that sent his son to die for your sins. That's the gospel. 1 Corinthians 15, Christ died for what? Our sins. That's what it says. The gospel. Why in the world we hesitate and draw back 
from declaring that message? I don't know, because we're not doing anybody any good if we don't teach that message. That Jesus Christ is the risen Savior, the Son of the living God who died for my sins. And if I don't respond to the one that died for my sins, I'll die in my sins. He's my only hope. And in verse 31, so Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. And they answered him, We are the offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Je you know, Jesus said, Follow me. If you abide in my word, you'll be free. The truth will set you free. And then they said, well, We're children of Abraham. Now, they brought this up many times. They tried to use this as, as a defense against everything that Jesus uh, taught. It's kind of like saying, Well, I'm a Baptist. Kind of like that. You know, or I'm a Baptist American, or I'm a Baptist Republican American, or I'm a Baptist Democrat American, or whatever. You know, they would just come up with something to say that I'm okay because of who I am and where I was born and who I'm related to or who I identify with. I'm okay just because of that. And Jesus says, uh, there he said, uh, they answered him, we're Abraham's children, offspring of Abraham. And they used that to say, we're the children of Abraham. You know what Jesus said in one verse? He said, God can turn these stones into children of Abraham if he wants to. Who are you? Verse 34, where Jesus kind of nails it down for them. Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Now, whoever practices sin is a slave to sin. John says in 1 John kind of the same thing. We'll see that in just a moment. We're going to look at at a few verses in 1 John, same person that wrote this gospel. Here it is, if you practice sin, you're a slave to sin. Does that mean if I just like the mistake I made yesterday, the sin I committed this morning? No, look, none of us are free from those individual sins that we commit on a daily basis. We're not, you know why? Because I've got a sin nature. I came in this world that way. And my only hope to be delivered from that sin nature is my salvation and my eternity with Christ. As long as I'm in this world, I'll sin. If I say that I don't have sin, John said I'm a liar. Okay, I, I've got a sin nature. I'm going to sin. That does not make it okay. It's simply an explanation. John's not talking about that. Jesus didn't say that. He said, if you practice sin, if that is the practice of your life, if it becomes your nature to the point that that's you, that's you, you're a slave to sin. See, there's a difference between those sins that we repent of daily and that we commit daily and that sin nature that never goes away that Jesus said makes you a slave. Jesus came here to set you free from that. He came here to redeem you from that. The, what is that sin nature? It is that idea that even though God the Father said that I'm to live a certain way, I'm going to do my own thing because I don't listen to God. I do what I want to do. That's that sin nature. And Jesus said you're a slave to that. Until you're redeemed from that, until, until the work of Christ is done in your life, you are a slave. Can you imagine telling the Jews 
who lived through 430 years of bondage in Egypt, 70 years in Babylon, you're a slave. That's the worst thing you could call these people. You're a slave to your own sin. It's not the individual sin, it's your sin. That's who you are, he says. Now you just got to imagine how these Pharisees responded to that. They thought they were righteous just because, one, they were children of Abraham, and two, they were Pharisees. They didn't know other explanation. They were good just because of that and anything else. And then for this guy to come up and tell them, this guy that some of them didn't even know until all of a sudden he starts healing people and other things, and he says, you're a slave. What? You're a slave to your sin. No, we're not. We're righteous. No, you're not. You're in sin. See, there's the conflict. They thought everything was good. Jesus said everything is not good. They thought that they were righteous simply because of who they were. I'm just righteous in my own, my own ability, in their minds. And Jesus said, you're a slave to your sin. You see, until we get it straight that we have a sin problem, and the only answer for that sin problem is our Savior and what he did on the cross, we have no hope. We remain in our sin. And let me say it again three times, we'll die in our sin until we get that one truth straight. The gospel is about the Son of God coming to deliver us from our sin. We've got to get that straight. And in a world that, as Franklin Graham said, in a society that is imploding on itself because of its sin, that, folks, is the only answer they've got. I don't care what the government does. It's not going to straighten out any of that mess. Christ is the answer. The gospel is the answer. Our sin problem, that's the problem. That's the heart of the problem. My sin problem. And Jesus said, you're a slave. You're a slave. Turn with me to 1 John chapter 1. And before we actually look at the text, I want to share with you a few things that I need to do and you need to do. And during this coming year, we as individual believers must do if we're going to be effective as believers out there. A lot of these I've said before because, because folks, these are just basic building blocks. We've got to become people of prayer. We have got to become people of prayer. That's the first thing. And, and folks, I'm not talking about giving thanks for your meal at lunchtime. I'm talking about people of prayer. Do you see the mess that is going on in our world today? When are we going to figure out we've got to be people of prayer? God calls his people to do that. That is basic. If we don't do that, not much else is possible. If I'm not a man of prayer, if I'm not a person of prayer, if this is not a church of prayer, not a whole lot can be done. That's one of the, the foundational building blocks of my life and who we are. Got to be people of prayer. And, and let me encourage you to if you do the next thing, you probably already know what it is. If you do the next thing, it'll help your prayer life. But devote a certain amount of time each day. I know if I tell you, okay, devote an hour a day to prayer, that's probably not going to happen for most of us. I say, let's start tomorrow. You're going to say, okay, I'm going to start out with five minutes to prayer. Well, just five minutes? Well, if you can do more, good. But for most people, five minutes is five minutes more than they're doing now. So tomorrow, why don't you say, 
that at some time during the day, early is best, but whenever it's good for you and your schedule, for five minutes, I'm going to cut off the television, I'm going to turn off the internet, I'm going to put everything else away, and I'm going to spend time with God for five minutes in prayer. I'm going to do it tomorrow. Let me tell you what will happen. If you'll make a habit out of that every day, five minutes will eventually not be enough. You'll have to do more. You'll want to do more. You'll look forward to doing more. Five minutes. Can you do that? Say, look, tomorrow, five minutes. You can do that. You can. Do you think your father wants to talk to you for five minutes? All right. Well, the second thing is, if I'm going to talk to the father for five minutes, I need to have him talk to me for five minutes. And the way that happens is I open the Bible and read it. You know the, the thing that I told you that I heard a preacher say uh, a couple of years ago. He said, if, if you want to hear God speak, read your Bible. If you want to hear God speak audibly, read it out loud. Because that's where God talks to us, from his word, the Bible. So you go five minutes to prayer. I've told you before, pray with an open Bible. Pray with an open Bible. Take your Bible. And, and, and find, start in John's Gospel. That's a good place to start. And just read for five minutes and pray while you read. Put the two together. You know they were, they were meant to go together, by the way. You say, well, preacher, this is basic. Okay, let's see how basic it is. Are you doing it? Five minutes with an open Bible talking to God. Change your life. Change your life. And we have got to do that if we're going to be used by God for anything. If we won't do that, can't do another thing. We, we just shoot ourselves in the foot if we won't do that much. Five minutes in the Bible. prayer. You know, it is so easy now, if you've got a smartphone, and most of you here do, you can get a Bible app and have them read it to you in any translation you want. Five minutes. Prayer in the Bible. And then devote yourself as you pray and read your Bible to respond. So, okay, I'm reading the scriptures. I'm, I'm going to respond to what I'm reading and I'm praying. I'm talking to God. We're having a conversation. The conversation doesn't mean a whole lot if there's not some kind of response. So I'm going to respond, and the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to look at my life and say, okay, is there something here? And there will be. Is there something here that I need to repent of? That means stop doing and start turning to God. 1 John 1, 9, one of the most well-known verses in the Bible says this, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But you got to talk to him about it. I'm going to confess to the Lord. And it's not that he doesn't know it. He wants you to know it. I'm going to confess, Lord, I'm a sinner. And, and you know, when you're talking to God, don't just be so general and say, I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner in this way. This is the sin I'm committing. You don't have to tell me, but I do think you need to deal with God on the issue. Lord, I've got a sin problem, here it is, and I need your help. Because you know what? If you try to repent on your own, you won't do it. You'll fail. You need his help to do that. And he will help you. He will. So I'm going to repent. So here are the first three things I'm going to do. I'm going to pray five minutes. 
and I can tie into that five minutes, I'm going to read my Bible because I'm going to pray with an open Bible. And then I'm going to respond to the Word of God by looking at my life and confessing and repenting of the sin that's in my life. You know, at New Year's, we have New Year's resolutions. I think that's a waste of time because they usually last about five minutes. We need New Year's repentance. I'm going to repent of the sin in my life. I'm going to come to Christ and I'm going to trust Him to give me the strength to do what He wants me to do. And He'll do it. He'll do it. And that leads us to the fourth thing. Serve. You know, there's redemption and there's sanctification. That's where God through the Holy Spirit and through His Word starts to work in us to make us usable by God to do something for His glory. Do, do you realize that I have been given the awesome privilege, and you have too, have been given the awesome privilege to serve the Creator and Sustainer and Redeemer of all mankind. I've been given the privilege of serving Him, and you have too. So when you pray and you read your Bible and you repent of your sin, now you're ready to start serving. I'm going to do something with the life that God gave me. You know, we, um, I, I, I realize that life is short. I've had medical issues over the years, and, and I understand, believe me, that life is short. It's brief. We don't have a lot of time. We just don't. I just had my 64th birthday. I'm more and more becoming aware of how short life is. You know, when I came here, I didn't have gray hair. That's right. Well, I had a little bit, but not as much as I do now, you know. But look now, my goodness, you know. Um, so life is brief. It just, it's like that, and it's over. It's over. So I'm going to take advantage of the time that I've got, what time I've got left, and I'll live it for His glory. Because in eternity, that is really the only thing that's going to make any difference. It's going to matter at all. You know, what am I doing for His glory? I'm going to serve Him. It's interesting to me that the last thing Jesus said before He ascended to heaven was go. Make disciples of all nations. That's our mission, people. Now, Again, we can look at the world today and we can see all of the sin and the evil and all of that going on. And we can get so consumed with that that we just go into hiding and we never do anything. Or we can realize that all of that sin and evil, we're supposed to be God's instruments to deal with it by proclaiming this gospel message to a lost world. Are you upset about lost people acting like lost people? Then be upset enough to tell them about Jesus. That's the only thing that's going to make any difference. You know, if we're going to try to elect people and vote for things and do this and do that, that's a waste. Yeah, really, it's a waste of time. Now, people don't like to hear that, but folks, let's just be real here. The gospel is about bringing people to Christ. I'll pray, I'll study, I'll repent. And I'll go. Let's pray.
Lord, when we look at the truth of the gospel, the first thing we see is sinners that really have no hope. The second thing we see is a Savior that died for our sin. Father, draw us to you closer than we've ever been. I pray this year that the people of Pine Grove Baptist Church will experience a revival in our lives and in our church that will just make us more and more usable by you to serve you for your glory. Father, help us to pray in ways we never prayed before, realizing how important it is. Help us to dig into your word and just read it and consume it and, and then to apply it to our lives, Father, and we'll respond by repenting of our sin and becoming what you want us to be, and then we'll go and we'll serve you wherever you lead us. Father, help each of us to examine our lives in these areas today. We, did, we are not here to be slaves to sin, but we are here to be the redeemed people of God. And I pray today that we'll respond to that. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Our hymn